name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, amen. Um, every night I'm going to do um, a, little, um, a, a little tidbit about the um, rites and rituals of the church, because there's a lot of rites and rituals um, associated with Holy Week, and maybe some people are more familiar and some people less so, and I learn something new every year, so I want to share my learnings I want to share my learnings with you. Um, uh, I'm gonna, today I'm going to just focus for the tidbit about, which will always be before the sermon, um, separate to the sermon. Um, uh, I, I want to focus on how to benefit from this week. If you um, talk to uh, um, any uh, of like the you know, holy righteous people in the church, if you read some of the readings of His Holiness Pope Shenouda or St. Father Matthew the Poor or or um, any of the other contemporary Christian people, Father Peshoy Kamel, all of these people who were really, really holy and have now departed in the Lord, they will all tell you that this is the best week of the year. And if you talk to people who uh, you know, have attended Holy Week multiple times and so on, they will tell you the same. And um, many people will even take this week off uh, of work because they want to be here and they want to be with um, with Jesus. The essence of the week, okay, um, and the essence of the whole week is that we follow with Jesus in every footstep he takes in the last week of his ministry, um, in the last week of his life before uh, he is crucified and then uh, he is buried and he rises from the dead, and of course, he lives forevermore, so it's not the last week of his life, but we say the last week of his ministry, um, of his public ministry anyways, because after the resurrection, he only appeared to the disciples and the apostles, and maybe 500 of them or so at a time once, but otherwise, it was a pretty private affair. Um, And so, we want to follow with Jesus, we want to keep in step with him. St. Paul uses this term, walk uh, uh, in the spirit and not in the flesh. What what that really means when he says walk in the spirit, he's saying keep in step with him. Have you ever been walking with somebody uh, uh, and and, and you found that they walk faster than you or slower than you? And you you have to kind of try to keep in step with them. The other day I was walking with somebody who was about a foot taller than me. And I was like racing with my what felt like little legs to try to keep up with him because of his long legs, you know. I was racing to keep in step with him. We want to keep in step with Jesus this week. We want to keep in step with Jesus our whole lives. But you can't take your whole life off of work, unfortunately. One day, maybe you can. Uh, But for now... Uh, you're, uh, you know, you can only dedicate certain times to that. Maybe you can't even take the week off, and that's why we've arranged our services uh, to have a ser- service before work or school and after work or school, uh, and, you know, early in the morning, and then some people aren't morning people, and they don't need to be up at 5.30 in the morning, so we've made a, 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 a midday service uh, uh, for, for that crew so that there can be something for everybody, and you guys uh, have, uh, you know, to thank the deacons, encourage them, uh, you, you know, prod, prod them on, because really, um, the first, at least the first three days 
of Holy Week is called a reader's service. So there's five ranks in the diaconate. We're not going to talk all about that. But the second rank is the rank of reader. The job of the reader is to be able to read, teach, and interpret the readings of the church. Um, and if you notice, the priest doesn't do anything special in, in, in these services. I'm just the highest-ranking cleric here, a clergyman, so I announce the hours and so on. But if I weren't here, it wouldn't make any difference. And the deacons work really hard, and the understanding is that they run the show for the first three, three days and then some. Thursday morning, you need a priest. Friday, for parts of it, you need a priest. But really, you can do most of Holy Week without a priest. That's because Jesus is our high priest and all of our eyes are on him. And the second reason is because there's no offering, there's no sacrifice um, during most of Holy Week. And we'll talk about why that is tomorrow when we talk about our rites and rituals tomorrow. Today, I just want to focus on how to make the most of this week because this week comes once and then it's gone and you might say yes Abuna, it comes once but on the schedule you've got like over 38 hours between now and the end of good friday let alone the all night bright saturday and let alone the resurrection sunday and uh, you know what am i going to do for 38 hours in church and i'm counting the morning services only once because i'm assuming you're either going to come to the early morning or the midday I'm assuming you're not going to come to both. I mean, you could, you know, so it's upwards of 50 hours if you're going to come to everything while the church is open. And then um, we've made uh, stations that will be set up downstairs, contemplative, prayerful stations. And I'll talk about that. And you can add some more time onto that. Abuna, what am I going to do at church for all of this time? Let me share with you the advice of Pope Shenouda with my own personal commentary that I give to my uh, spiritual brothers and sisters who come to me for spiritual guidance. First point Pope Shenouda makes is to be mindful of our behavior inside and outside the church. Quite simply, whatever we do in the church this week, especially I mean, every week and all the time in our lives, we should make an effort to do that outside the church as well. You know, a lot of the time, uh, I'll say, someone will say, oh, no, no, I can't swear in church. You, know, you can't swear outside of church either. You know, right? And so on. I just had communion today. Yes, I know you just had communion today, but Christ is indwelling you. His Spirit is indwelling you and me every day and every moment. Yes, I know it's a tall order. Um, and so this week, we're really going to try to do that. We're really going to try to make our behavior inside of church and outside of church the same. Well, what is that behavior? Well, and the next point Pope Shenouda talks about is retreat. You can find this article, by the way, if you just Google how to benefit from Pascha week or Holy week, Pope Shenouda, you'll find this article. It's about 11 points. I'm going to go through them very quickly. The second point is retreat. Please try not to do anything this week that you don't need to do this week. For my brothers and sisters who come to me for spiritual guidance who are students, I highly recommend it to them, and this is what I used to do, that if you have a deadline that's for something that's due this week, get it done before this week. This week, you're out of town. This week, you're in Antarctica. This week, you have no cell phone reception, no internet, no nothing. So if you have a paper due this week, get it done before this week, right? If you have an appointment that you cannot change, fine, do it this week because you have to. But basically, this week is off limits. 
This week is holy. This week is consecrated. Pope Shenouda quotes Joel 1.14, consecrate a fast, a call a sacred assembly. What does that mean? That means I'm going to cordon off this week because this week I want to walk in step with Christ and I don't want to miss anything, right? The next thing he talks about is following the steps of Christ and we've, we've been kind of, I've been mentioning that over and over and over again. And the way that I do that is I try very hard to read all of the readings. And if I, if, I, if I got here late and I missed the first hour or if I, or if I had to walk out or, or if somebody came and talked to me or, or I got distracted and I missed something, then I try, I try my hardest to go back and to read those readings because I don't want to miss anything. I want to catch everything. Even if I miss something, I'll bookmark it. I'll put a little thing in the column and so on. There is... Um, a digital versions of um, of the, the the book of readings, the lectionary, and then there's a there's hard copy versions of it as well. Here's we have a hard copy version of it here. If you needed uh, if you need a digital version of it, you can come and speak to me, or we'll put it out on our WhatsApp group. Um, there's a, a beautiful version that was put out by the uh, diocese of LA and uh, Hawaii. Um, and uh, it's the same version as what's on the screen. You can also find the readings, obviously, in the Coptic Reader app. Um, and some of the servants at church have put together this little Holy Week um, companion handbook for you, handout for you. Um, basically, they've read all of the readings of Holy Week, all of them from the very beginning to the very end, and summarize what's the theme of each hour and what are the verses in the prophecy, in the gospel, and so on, that kind of really highlight that. So you can kind of, you know, I like to gamify whatever I can in life. I like to make things fun. I know this is a very serious week and a very solemn week, and we'll talk about that tomorrow when we talk about the setup of the church and why it's set up the way it's set up, right? But, you know, nonetheless, it's not a week of, um, of, of, of mourning um, necessarily, but it is certainly a solemn week. But that doesn't mean that you can't, you can't challenge yourself to try to, um, to keep in step with all of the readings and so on. And so you, you find these fill-in-the-blanks and you can use these fill-in-the-blanks as a way of trying to stay focused, uh, of trying to you know, not miss the key verse in each reading. Um, and you can fill them out. In previous years, we kind of found these handouts kind of left lying around and so in an effort of tidiness and in also an effort for you not to lose your booklet if you want to leave it at church we put a little filing thing near the door alphabetically by first name you can write your name on the on the cover and pop it in there so you can find it when you come to the next service um, and so that's one way of also another way of trying to keep in step with jesus um, the next is to share with him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, and that is, this is a great week if, you know, a lot of people have come to me in the last maybe five days or so saying, Abuna, I can't believe the fast is over. I can't believe, and I don't know, like it just came and it went, and that's how it always is. Before Lent starts, we're like, oh my goodness, 55 days. And then when, when Holy Week is around the corner, we're like, wait, what happened? Where did the fast go? And why did it... Why did it escape me and I didn't benefit? Well, guess what? There's one week left. And in this week, you can, you, can up, you, know, you can up the fasting to what you think it should have been. You can up the virtues to what you think it should have been and so on. 
Another thing that I find very, very helpful, it's, it's distracting sometimes. Sometimes there's the, the hymns can be long or things can feel repetitive. Bring a spiritual book with you. You know, I, I read digitally, so I have you know, a whole bunch of books on my Kindle. If you need suggestions for a spiritual book, in previous years we had uh, made uh, uh, some spiritual books available electronically. Come speak to me. I have tons of favorite books to read during Holy Week. I'd be delighted to, to email something to you or, to, and, or, or put something out um, on our WhatsApp group if that's something that you would find helpful. The hymns are a little bit long, uh, especially come Good Friday. So what's with the long hymns? What's with the, you know, it's because they're called melismatic hymns or monosyllabic hymns when we get stuck on a syllable and we stay there for three and a half minutes, right? What's up with that, right? I'll tell you what's up with that. It's an opportunity for us to, to slow down, to focus. The other day, uh, someone came to one of our prayer meetings and later on he told me, you know, wow, you guys pray at turtle pace. This is amazing. This is, you know, this is like, uh, like someone like just pressing on the brakes from our fast forward culture that we live in um, to just slowing down to really take hold of Jesus. And that's, you know, when the church has put these longer hymns in certain parts, that's because it, the church is telling us, hey, focus, slow down for a moment here and lay hold of Jesus, you know, grasp what you can and benefit and benefit from it. Um, I'm going to run through briefly what happens in one hour. In every hour, it begins with an announcement of the hour. This is the 11th hour of the eve of Monday. Uh, may its holy blessings be with us all. Then there's some prophecies, okay? A fun thing to do is to try to ask yourself, what's this prophecy about? And what's its relationship to the rest of the hour? So that's something you can do while you're reading the prophecy to try to keep yourself engaged. Now, the next thing after that comes the Paschal praise. Thine is the power and the glory and the blessing and the majesty forever. Amen. So the church, again, has given us, you know, it knows like it knows that we're all children at heart and you've got to keep us busy. Otherwise, we get distracted and we get uh, our minds go elsewhere. So every time we say thine is the power and the glory, we do the sign of the cross because we're preparing ourselves to recognize that Glory has been redefined. That this is the throne of Christ. This is where He is enthroned in His greatest glory on earth. is on the cross. And that the cross is glory. So every time we say, Thine is the power and the glory, we do the sign of the cross. Sometimes we say, you, you know, you get distracted, you know, it all depends on how good you are with like hand-eye coordination. You know what I mean? Like some of us failed the chicken dance in, in kindergarten, right? That's okay if you thine is the power and you do, do the cross. That, you know, but the point is, is that we're trying, the church is trying to help us to associate that the cross, that, that suffering, co-suffering love is glory. That's the path of glory. And that helps us in our lives to accept and to embrace the, the troubles and, and the suffering that comes in our lives, that we realize that this, is, this coin has two sides, one called suffering and the other called glory. 
right? And so we say the Paschal prays 12 times, uh, alternating one side to the other, right? And we answer each other. If you've ever tried to say it all by yourself, you get kind of winded about halfway through. So the church has made two choirs for us, a north choir and a south choir, and they answer each other. And so we kind of divide the church, north and south, right? And the north side starts and the south side answers. So what do you do when the other side is singing, um, other than criticize them in your head? I'm just kidding, right? Um, what you do is you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, which comes as the conclusion of the Paschal praise each time we say it. So as we finish saying, Thine is the power of the glory forever, Amen. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, silently hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come to the end. Then, you're still going to have about two more verses left of silence. And if you're anything like me, within it takes me about a second and a half to get distracted. So immediately, as, as we start saying, Thine is the power, as we start the Paschal praise, I bring my prayer rope out and I put it in my hand, right from the very beginning, even if I'm on the side that's singing. And then we finish singing, and then we say, Our Father who art in heaven, and then I start praying the Jesus prayer. That's just what I do. This isn't one of the rites of the church. This is just my, my, how I found a way to help myself stay focused. It's too short a time to pull my spiritual book out and read. It's too short a time to pull my Bible out and read, or my readings book and catch up with the readings that I missed, right? Because it's only going to be like seven seconds or ten seconds or something. Right? And then I find myself picking up my Bible, putting it down, doesn't work. So what I do is I just pray the Jesus prayer gently, softly, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. We have prayer ropes downstairs. They're going to be at one of the stations. Feel free to grab one, as everything else at SMSK is free of charge. You're welcome to leave a donation, of course, but you're in no ways obliged to do so. We also have these little prayer rings. They serve the same purpose. You're going to say, well, Father John, do I need a prayer ring or a prayer rope? Can't I just pray the Jesus prayer? It's all of like 10 words. I should be able to figure it out. Yes, indeed. You don't need any of these props. These are just prompts. They're things that it pokes me. As I'm standing there and daydreaming, I feel that this is in my hand. And then I realize, oh no, I'm supposed to be praying. Okay, focus, John, focus, pray, right? And then it draws me back to prayer. And then after that comes the psalm, which most often is prayed in its long tune, which is about three and a half minutes to four and a half minutes, depending on how fast it's sung. That's a great time to catch up whatever readings that you missed, to fill out whatever fill in, fill in the blanks that you missed. It's a great time to read your spiritual book that you brought with you. It's a great time to read the Gospels. Some advice, um, I think I was in grade 9, was the first time I had spring break landed on Holy Week. And I went and I asked the Buna, Father, what should I do to benefit from Holy Week? He said, you know what you should do? I'll challenge you to read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, during this week. And since then, grade 9, I don't know how long ago that was, um, of course, it was just like four years ago, um, uh, I've been, that's been my practice, that I try to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, during Holy Week. 
There are 89 chapters. If you divide it up into four days or five days, you know what I mean? You can do the math, divide it however you like, divide it in a number of pages, a number of chapters, whatever. I, every year I am shocked that the Jesus that I thought is, is very different from the Jesus who's in here. I meet Jesus for the first time every year in Holy Week reading the four Gospels. And so you'll find me while the, while the deacon is, 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 is singing the psalm or we'll, at, at some point we'll have the whole congregation sing the psalm together. You'll find oftentimes me standing there with my Bible open to, uh, to one of the Gospels, reading the Gospels. It's a great, great practice. It's probably, of all the things I've mentioned, um, other than attending the services and trying to stay in step with Christ in each hour by hour and knowing what's going on today and what's Jesus doing today, other than that, that's probably the second most useful thing that... Um, that you can uh, you you can do this week. The last uh, the the last two things are very simple. One is um, this is a great week to travel light. This is a great week to drop off any unforgiveness you have in your heart. If you need to confess, this is the week. If uh, you need to. Um, you know, declutter your life. I'm not talking about like, uh, you know, chores at home. This is the worst week to do that. Don't do any projects that you don't need to do. Don't do any projects. This isn't the week for it. But if you want to declutter your day and declutter your life and you have social engagements and whatever that don't need to happen, this is the, week, the day to, to empty yourself. Why to empty yourself? Because this is the week to fill up. The last thing Pope Shenouda talks about is this, is this is the week to drink deep. This is the week to, to fill ourselves, to store up our spiritual storehouses full of useful things and full of the, of the power of God to carry us on through the rest of the year. This is the springboard of spiritual life this week. Don't miss it. Don't let the week fly by and you find yourself on Great Friday wondering where the week went. Every moment of the day, ask yourself, what did Jesus do today? What did Jesus do on Monday? What did Jesus do on Tuesday? What did Jesus do on Wednesday? Ask yourself and try to stay in step with Christ this week. So that's the end of the little tidbit of how to benefit from Holy Week. And then tomorrow we'll talk about the, a little bit of the setup of the church and why the church is set up the way it's set up, um, uh, and so on. Now for the sermon. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. We're, this week we're taking a theme for the whole week called Lost and Found. And the uh, most kind of characteristic story of... Uh, or chapter in the Bible about lost and found is Luke 15. Luke 15 is where you find the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable oftentimes called of the lost son or the prodigal son, or maybe we should be calling it the parable of the father and two sons, whatever we're going to call it. 
The parable of the prodigal son is the most quoted and most preached on segment of scripture in, 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 in the whole Bible, in Christianity at large. And you must, we must, I guess, ask ourselves, why? Why is that? Why is the parable of the prodigal son so central to the message of the gospel? Well, we're not going to only focus on the parable of the prodigal son during, uh, during the sermons of, of Holy Week, but we're going to kind of look at the whole chapter as a whole, um, and not just me, we're going to have other um, folks from the church all coming to share a little bit um, about it. And we're going to try to look at this chapter not the way that you and I have looked at it our whole lives, but we're going to try to look at it from the eyes of the people that Jesus was talking to, first century Middle Eastern folk. What did they understand when Jesus said this parable to them? Jesus used a lot of words and a lot of expressions and a lot of things that his people would understand. And so what was Jesus trying to say to them? You'll notice some similarities between the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And you'll notice some differences. In the parable of the lost sheep, there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he takes them out to feed, to feed in the pastures, when they're in the wilderness somewhere, and he counts them out, and one of them is missing. And so he leaves the 99, and he goes and he looks for the one which is lost. And he finds him, and he picks him up, and he carries him, and he brings him back to his home, and he throws a big party, and he calls his friends, and he tells them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you, likewise, there is more joy in heaven, Jesus says, over one sinner who repents, than over ninety-nine persons who have no need of repentance. And... Um, one of our speakers, I think probably tomorrow, is going to talk to us a little bit about what happened to the other 99. And did he just leave them in the wilderness? And so on. And actually, if we, if we know how the text was written and how people understood things in the first century, it's actually written into the text between the lines. And it's not what you think. Um, the, then comes the parable of the lost coin. So this, this woman, the word, the word woman in scripture means a married woman, um, right, has ten coins and she loses one of them and she goes nuts. She lights every lamp in the house, she looks under every rug and every, under every carpet, behind the dresser, she looks everywhere until she finds it and she says tells her gathers her friends and her neighbors together and says to them rejoice with me for i have found the peace that i lost now i mean what's up with the coin i mean all of us have lost a quarter somewhere in life you know all of us have all of us have heard like you know the washing machine clanging around and you know and when we take it out we find you know we left a quarter or a loony in our in the pockets of our jeans or whatever right and we didn't you know we didn't we didn't lose our marbles for the hour that there, our clothes was in the washing machine, you know, because we lost the coin. You know, we just kind of said, like, whatever, right? So why is this lady, you know, so over the top about this coin? 
And then she finds it, and when she finds it, what does she say? She gathers her friends and her neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Hmm, seems kind of interesting. Again, we'll hear about that throughout the week. Then there's the parable of the, of the father and the two sons. So a father has two sons, an older and a younger son. They weren't twins. And the younger son says to him, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Right? Which would have been about a third of the estate because the, older, the, the oldest son, the eldest son, usually got a double portion because it was his job to maintain the family name and the family business. It was his job to take care of his elderly you know, parents or or like any responsibilities of caring were upon the eldest son. And so that's kind of how they did things then and that's how they do things in some parts of the world now, right? And it was thought that it was equitable at the time, but the, so the younger son says, basically give me a third of your net worth, dad. And he gives it to him. And, you know, what does he give him? Like a parcel of land or, you know, and we're going to hear about that throughout the week. What does it mean that he gave him, you know, what, that he gave him, you know, his share of the inheritance and so on. Um, and what does that have anything to do with you and me? Of course, that's the bigger question. Now, he goes off and, and, and he loses it all somehow. And he comes back because he's starving and feeding pigs for a living and he says, this is terrible. Um, and he comes back to his father and his father throws the biggest party that you can imagine. And he says, my son was lost and is found. And he kills the fatted calf and he gives him new clothes and he gives him a ring and all of these things that we'll hear more about throughout the week. The eldest son, of course, is pretty miffed about all of this. And the father goes out and talks with his, with his older son. Now, you'll notice one thing that we mentioned in all three stories is the word rejoice. And that's really what I want to focus on today. I'm going to summarize for you the readings so you can see how this is related, how this is related to the readings. So basically, today is the day of preparation. Today is the day where Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is going to come. Today, he tells his disciples that... Um, you know, James and John and their mother come to him and they tell him, like we read in the exposition, they see that he's like the king and this and that, and he's going to be like the new king of Israel, maybe a new military ruler or something. And so uh, they come and they say, hey, can we be your right-hand man, you know, and your second, your second and your third in command? Uh, and um, they use their mother to intercede for them, right? And then Jesus says to them, the first will be last and the last will be first. The Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in the next hour after that, Jesus, some, some Greeks come and they want to see Jesus and, um, and they go and tell Jesus and Jesus tells them a grain of wheat, unless it falls to the ground, it doesn't, it doesn't bring any fruit. But if it, if it goes and falls in the ground, it will yield much fruit much fruit and he says he who loses his life for my sake will find it 
he tries to save his life, will lose it. And then a couple of the other gospel readings where this conversation, Jesus is asking his disciples and Jesus is asking every one of us and he's asking me and he's asking you, who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking the question, who do you say that I am? I pray that you and I can discover Jesus anew this week, that we can discover who he is anew this week. And St. Peter answers him and says, you are the Christ of God. And he answer, Jesus answers Peter and says that the Son of Man must, be, must suffer, be rejected, be killed. And then in another gospel, he says, he will be rejected by the chief priests and the elders. They will scourge him. They will spit on him and beat him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So he's preparing his disciples. He's preparing you and he's preparing me for all that's going to come this week. And that is the summary of kind of what has been going on today is a day of preparation. If we look at what St. Paul has to say about this grain of wheat that falls and dies, okay? So Jesus is telling us, I'm like a grain of wheat and I will have to fall and die. And then if, if, if that happens, it will yield much, like a big crop, much fruit, right? St. Paul in... 1 Corinthians 15, he says, foolish ones. He's answering a specific question. The letter to the Corinthians is all answers to questions. We don't have the question, but we have the answer. So it's kind of like Jeopardy. You have to guess what the question was, right? Um, of course, we don't have to guess. We, we, you know, we have sources that can tell us, but you can, you can see what the question was by, uh, by deduction, Right? So they're talking about the resurrection of the dead. Some people are saying there's no resurrection of the dead in, in Corinth. Some people are saying all kinds of funny things. Some people are saying you die and rise again and you live just as you lived before. So he's telling them, he's answering, he's telling them foolish ones. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but a mere grain perhaps wheat or some other grain. It's telling them, look, you don't sow wheat, you don't take like a bushel of wheat and you bury it and then you get a bushel of wheat. That's not how it works. You sow a grain in the ground and what comes out is going to be very different than what, than what went in. God gives it a body as He pleases to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. So are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Saying God has made fish different from animals, different from plants, they're all different. And when you sow a grain, what you get out of that is very different. Now I want to ask you a question. What is more glorious, a little seed in your hand or a field of wheat that can feed a village? St. Paul is telling us, don't expect that what you're going to take and you're going to put in the ground is what you're going to get out of it. Rather, expect that what's going to come out of the ground is going to be far more glorious than what you put in. 
what was put in the ground was far more glorious. What was lost is far more glorious than what is found. What is lost is a sinner. What is found brings rejoicing to the entirety of the kingdom of heaven. Do you believe that the joy of the kingdom of heaven hinges on you? One of the most stressful things in parenting, I don't know if other parents find it like this, but I was discussing this with my parents and my, and my in-laws, and they were telling me, yeah, yeah, it was to say, hey, that's how it was for us, man, inherit, you know, that's how it's going to be for you. One of the most stressful things is organizing birthday parties for your kids. Why? Because you want to make them happy, right? And you don't know what is going to make them happy. And if it is too exciting for them, they get like overstimulated and then they just freak out, you know? And they just run around screaming and crying and you're like, you know? So you can't go you know, over the top and then obviously it's got to be more than what you do day, day to day, right? And the amount of time, energy, money, thought, preparation, months in advance before the birthday. Why? To make one kid happy. You're going to make a bunch of other kids happy, they're friends, but really you're doing this for the kid who's it's their birthday. You don't even care about the sibling. I mean, you care about them, but you don't, you know, it's their day. You just want that, that child to be happy. And you put so much into it as a parent, as a friend throwing a surprise birthday party for a friend or a graduation party or a bridal shower, a baby shower. I don't know, there's a zillion different kinds of showers, Right? All of this to make one person happy. Now, how many people are there in heaven? How many persons are there in heaven, to use a better, more accurate word? I don't know. But there's several re references to thousands of thousands and tens of thousands times tens of thousands, so that 10,000 times 10,000, you do the math, and myriads upon myriads. A myriad is basically like when you see people to the horizon, like all you see is heads. You know, it was a, like a term used in the, like in the military, in war. Like, you know, if the sun comes up and you see an army and all you can see is heads from here to the horizon, that's a myriad, okay? So myriads of myriads. That's what's in heaven. That's how many people, persons, maybe is a better term, who rejoice when one sinner repents. What is holding you back from repenting? What is the cost-benefit ratio? What are you going to sow in the ground and what are you going to get out of it? There are differences in these three parables that we talked about. For example... The sheep doesn't find the shepherd, and the coin doesn't find the lady, but the son goes and finds his father. There are some differences. We'll talk about them throughout the week. Our speakers will talk about them. But one thing which is common is the theme of rejoicing. Although this is a solemn week, 
we are already laying hold of the resurrection by faith. Although the cross is clearly before us, we clearly see that this is just this is this is this is just the prelude to the resurrection. This is just the introduction to the resurrection. This is just the preface to this is the cover of the book. But once I open the book, I will find much more than what I found on the cover. And that's a lesson for our lives too. The suffering in my life, whether I brought it upon myself, God is not a God of guilt or deservedness. He doesn't say, oh, you did that yourself? Okay, your problem, figure it out. No, no, no. Whether you brought the suffering upon yourself or it was brought upon you by others or just luck or fate or whatever people say, you know, Whatever it may be, it's just the cover. It's just what's being sown into the ground. The purpose of the grain is to be, of the seed, is to be sown in the ground. That's what you're supposed to do with it. Jesus is saying, I am a seed. We are saying, Lord, it's a horrifying thing what's going to happen to you and that you're going to die and be crucified. And he's saying, I am a seed. I, oh, in, 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 the, in the, the passage of John 12 that I'm referencing, when the Greeks wanted to come and see him and so on, he sighs and he says, Father, what shall I say? Deliver me from this hour. For this purpose I came into the world. For this purpose I came into the world. The purpose of the seed is to be sown in the ground and buried to bring about a great harvest. To bring about enough wheat to feed a village. To bring about wheat, bread. Bread synonymous in scripture with life. The Semitic, in all the Semitic languages, the word Bread and the word life have the same root word, like in Arabic. Aish, Aish. Right? Bread and to live. It's the, same, it's the same meaning. It's the same root word. It comes from the same word. The word bread is synonymous with the word life. That's why Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which came down from heaven. That which is sown is drastically different from that which is reaped. Jesus is telling us, prepare yourselves. There's no better way on this night or day of preparation today where Jesus is preparing us, his disciples, who walk in step with him for everything that will happen. There's no better way than for us to repent. What does that mean? To repent means to return to God. So there's... There's some parts of me that are willing to be fully united with God. And there's other areas that I'm kind of holding back a little. I'm kind of holding back a little. God, you can have anything. You can have my whole life. And he says, oh, can I have that? I'm like, uh, anything else. What are you holding back? Jesus says to us, you want to be a disciple? Sure, no problem. You can only be a disciple, though. He's telling us. He's not telling us, I won't accept you. He's just telling us, you're going to have a hard time. You, you know, being a disciple means following me, and you're going to have a hard time keeping in step with me. You're going you're gonna to fall behind. 
If you love father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own self, what do you love? What do you love that is hard for you to let go? That promotion, that career move, something financial, a person, a thing. It says, your, it says husband, wife, children. If we love anything more than Jesus, we're going to have a hard time following him. We're going to have a hard time following him. This is the time for us to say, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I don't know, Lord, how to love you more than you fill in the blank. But I want to. But I want to. I want to be 100% sold out to you. I don't want to have my life, and as part of my life, a piece of the pie is my faith, my religion, my Jesus, my you know, spirituality. Lord, my whole life is you. And it happens to include, it just so happens that, you know, I pay the bills by such and such. I, uh, you know, uh, am a father, mother, brother, sister, wife, whatever other, other, whatever other hats I happen to wear, student, etc. Those are just hats that I wear. But I am a disciple of Jesus. And I am sold out for you, Lord. And I am confident, Lord, that whatever I sow by your grace will reap, will be a far greater harvest than what I sowed. Let us, I beg you, this week, follow Jesus and see what is holding us back. What ball and chain is chained to your leg and it is, are you running with one leg and dragging the other behind you? You're running with one leg and dragging the other behind you. You need limp no more. You don't need to limp anymore. Let go. And you will find rest. And you will find freedom in loving God more than all of these other let this night be a night of examining ourselves to see what is holding us back so that we also can rejoice like it was mentioned in all three parts of this parable. Glory be to God forever and ever. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.